Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. For more Providence Church, visit us online at provchurch.net. That's provchurch.net. Let's get into it. It's easier to stay put than to step into a place that requires us to risk. Because when you think about risking or stepping out or moving out in some way that's going to, there's a, there's a, there's a, a thing that comes with that. And, and so if, it's, if we stay put, well, then there'll be less stress and less fear and it'll be less challenging. It'll be less, less chance of failure. So I'm just going to stay put. Whatever, if God's nudging me in a certain direction to step out and trust him, sometimes we just want to shrink back and stay there. But what happens if you don't risk when you don't move with God? Well, we're going to look, we're going to look at a couple passages this morning, but Numbers chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, this is not, we're not going to stay here long, but I want to read a, a passage that's, again, hopefully familiar to many of you back in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So do the, do the walking through the 13th chapter. This is the journey of the, the Israelites as they're coming out of slavery and they've been delivered and rescued and all that. And now they're preparing to enter the promised land. And they send out, Moses sends out a, an advanced team to scout out the land. So verse 26 and following, look at this. And then they, it says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. You, we, we heard reports that it flows with milk and honey. We heard reports about this amazing land, this promised land. And sure enough, what our eyes have seen, here it is. Here is its fruit, verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That's the, the, the class of people that would be, uh, the Anakim would be the, if you will, the giants. So there, Goliath is going to come from the Anak. Eventually, he's going to be a descendant. Goliath, David does the battle. That's going to be a descendant of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. God, we can, God will give us the victory. Caleb had the faith, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we, we look the same to them. Chapter 14, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Shouldn't we just go back to that land? Shouldn't we go back to the way it was 
We were slaves, but we got fed. We were slaves, but we had a place to lay our heads at night. We were slaves, but we weren't in, in peril from the sword. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Mm. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And and the story, as you know, it unfolds. And the, the voices of the 10 went out. The two who believed God would give the victory, that God would lead them, that God would provide a victory, they would conquer the giants in the land. Uh, Their voices were silenced. And so those 10 were not taking that risk. Only two said, we can do this. And so the 10 held sway. And the cost, as you will know from reading uh, through the rest of the story, is that there was 40 years of aimlessness, 40 years of wandering. We, call it, we know it as the wilderness wandering, where the God's people, until that generation died off, and then God took the next generation and led them into the... They weren't, they didn't, they weren't willing to obey. They weren't willing to trust. They weren't willing to step by faith and, and believe and take that risk, if you will, of believing God. And so they suffered as a result of that, just wandering, wandering until they all died off in the wilderness. John Piper says, very little happens of any significance in an individual life or a church or a family or an organization that does not involve taking risks. When we talk about taking risks, we're talking about the core of our biblical commitment to trust God. Last week, we talked about that value, the fourth value, we choose trust. We choose trust. We tr- and we talked about the vertical dimension, trusting God primarily. Trust in the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. Trust him with everything that you have. And, and then God, help us to trust each other. Help us to learn how to have trust-filled relationships with one another. And so it's really why God was so severe in his discipline of Israel when they disobeyed and they chose to not follow God's command, leading them into the promised land because they weren't willing to trust that he could enable them to overcome the giants in the land. We can't do this. Yeah, you don't have to. I will. That was God's plan. That was God's design. That was God's will. I want to take my people into this. They will inhabit. And they did eventually inhabit the land, but that generation missed it. They missed it. Here's the thing. Risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of injury or loss. Why do we struggle to to take risks in our lives? Oftentimes because we're afraid that something might go wrong. 
We might not be able to do it. We might fall. We might fail. We might look foolish. We might, you know, we might lose something in the process. It might be small. It might be big. The thing that we lose. The loss could be money. The loss could be we could lose face. We could lose reputation. And we could lose life. There is a difference, and please note this, there's a difference between foolish risks and Christ-honoring risks. So please hear me on that this morning. Both could cost you your life. One is pleasing to God, to God the other is unpleasing. And so if you decide to go bungee jumping, and I don't know if anybody here has bungee jumped, but to me that seems like, what? What? A rubber band is going to keep me from death. Strong rubber band, but, a, but essentially a rubber band, right? And I know, I know it's safe, but still, right? Or, or driving your car 100 miles an hour on a road that is lined with curves, has a big bend in it, and you're going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Foolish, right? Or, or, or try to eat a 10,000-calorie burger. I was like, I heard about that. Consider this risk. It's, there's a famous called the Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas. This restaurant is known for its flat liner fries cooked in pure lard, butterfat shakes, no filter cigarettes, and the triple bypass. weighing more than 350 pounds. So if you're over 350, you get a free meal. I tell you, Beth, that we track the very bleeding edge, the avant-garde of risk takers. Now, when we talk about taking risks, we're not talking about that. I'm giving you some contrast. That's just crazy, foolish, right? You can all see through that. But think about, think about Paul, you know, the apostle, and the risks he took to get the gospel out and the risk he took to extend God's kingdom and all the threats that he faced and the people that tried to kill him and stone him and beat him and throw him in jail. And in Acts chapter 9, the night that he was let down over the wall at night because they were coming for him and so they had to get him out quick and in the middle of the night, he gets let down in a basket over the wall and flees so that he can continue the mission God gave him. So Paul faced it at every turn. And that would be a risk of, I trust God and I'm living this mission for God and I'm moving with God, whatever comes. 
That's what we're talking about this morning. So if you want to be safe and not risk the possibility of injury or loss or failure, then we stay back. We hold back. Maxwell said, you risk, if you risk nothing, you receive nothing, and you have nothing. And so he asked, where's the fruit? The thing that we really want, the thing that we really long for is out on the limb. That's where the fruit is. Quit hugging the tree, the tree trunk. The, on, the only fruit there is the rotten fruit that falls to the ground. And so if you've been near a fruit tree and you know those fruits that are rotten, they fall down, they're right around the trunk. Don't, don't get away, quit hugging the trunk, he says. Get, get out on the limb to get the good fruit. Remember this, God wants us to experience the fruit, the goodness, the blessing of living by faith because there is a blessing in living by faith biblically that we long, and that's why it's one of our core values at this church. Lord, help us to be a church that is willing to take risks so that your kingdom can advance, so that your gospel can go forward, so that people will come to know Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that's willing to do what you call us to do by faith, to step into it so that others will come to know you. That's the heart behind this value. We chase Big dreams with an even bigger faith. And one of the prime passages in all of Scripture for what it means to live by faith is Hebrews chapter 11. So that's where our key text this morning. If you flip now to the New Testament and the 11th chapter of Hebrews, again, a passage that many of you would recognize. We're just going to read the first six verses. It's, a, it's an amazing, we call it the, the hall of faith passage. This this whole chapter is full of risk takers, men and women who gave everything for the cause of knowing God. So look, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what, was, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God spoke, let there be, and there was. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. And when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Just to be walking and all of a sudden, in the presence of God. Man, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Enoch and Elijah, right? Elijah goes out of the chariot of fire. Enoch walks and was, with, and was no more. By faith. For before he was taken... He was commended as one who pleased God. And then verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly 
seek him. So defining faith this morning, we're talking about taking risks, living by faith. What does that actually mean? Well, the, the writer of Hebrews says it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In fact, the New American Standard translates it, it is the substance of things hoped for. The substance. And so the substance behind what we hope for, the substance behind our trust, in fact, is God. Right? So, so this, is, this is what we're placing our faith in him, who he is, his character and his nature, and what he is able to do. Two parts. It's who he is in his essence, in his person that makes him trustworthy, but also what he is able to do. With God, nothing is impossible, right? I mean, that's what the, that's what the, the message from Genesis to Revelation is. In fact, Abraham, of course, is the one who is lifted up as this, this father, Father Abraham, the father of faith. So if you look down in, 17, in, the, in the chapter, verse 17, 18, and 19, Abraham knew that God could do the impossible. Because verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. You remember Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, up to the mountain and sacrifice him there. And he who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. He had the knife poised. He was ready to plunge it. He was ready to offer his only child on the altar before God because God had spoken to him about that. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. This is the one that this, the promise will come through. This is the one that many descendants will come through. This is the one that many, many, I will establish a nation through him. And now he's on the altar to be given. Verse 19, here's the faith. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He was as good as dead at that point when the angel came and said, well, no, no, stop, stop, stop. God knows what's in your heart, Abraham. He sees your heart. And he has provided for you. And there's that ram. Look over the thicket. There's a ram over there. Take the, the ram and offer it instead. God knew. There is a vast difference in living life through the lens of faith than not. Raymond Brown said this. He said, the person without any clear faith often accepts things simply as they are. If money comes his way, then it's obviously his to enjoy. If he is confronted with an opportunity for sensual pleasure, he will take it regardless of its immediate effects or ultimate consequences. He does not necessarily sit down to consider whether it damages him or hurts others. But the man or the woman of faith possesses the conviction of things not seen. They do not look simply at their circumstances. They discern the activity of the invisible God in their present situation. Looking for the hand of God, looking for the movement of God, looking for the, the whisper of God, listening, paying attention as we move through life. 
Faith is centered around the truth that God is at work. That he's moving. That he's up to something. I may not know exactly what it is, and often we don't. I may not always like it, and sometimes we don't. But I can move with him to experience all that he has for me. I believe in him. I trust in him, even when I can't figure it out. This is the essence of faith, that we believe, God, you are at work, and you have demonstrated it, and we certainly understand you have demonstrated it here in the pages of your word, and we understand what you did at the cross, and we understand the resurrection, and we believe that when you sent the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit is now working in us. Your Holy Spirit is working through the church, those who believe, to accomplish the very same purpose that you set forth here. You're now working it out in us. And so we're down the road. We might not be Acts, Acts was there 28 chapters in Acts, Acts 28. So we're, we're, moving, we're whatever chapter we're on in the book of Acts, we're still, God's still moving in his church to accomplish his mission. And it's vital for us as we talk about this, it's not just head knowledge. That is to say, well, I know these things about God. I know these facts about God. I know these truths about God, but the difference is I'm embracing, I'm embracing God and who he is to the point where I'm willing to orient my life around those things and those facts and those truths. I'm willing to make decisions that reflect my trust in those facts and those truths. And so I'm going to raise my family based on how, what your word says about family relationships. I'm going to go after my marriage the way that you call us to go after marriage. I'm going to work with integrity the way that your word talks about truthfulness and integrity in the marketplace. I'm going to, I'm going to orient my life decisions in the world. I'm tempted and there's an ethical situation on the line. I'm not going to go that way because it's convenient, but I'm going to go this way because this is what you've said. That's trust. That's faith. I know that God is this and God is that and God, but no, I'm actually choosing to orient and, and, and build my life around those things. That's when faith takes on the concrete. I'm willing to risk by stepping into a place of obedience and surrender to follow God as he leads and directs my life. And so when you read through Hebrews chapter 11, where again, we call it the hall of faith, you see story after story after story of men and women who, who did just that very thing. They obeyed and they surrendered even when, even when it cost, and it did. You get to the end of the chapter, it cost them everything. And some of them were still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled in their lifetime. They didn't see it, but they trusted, and now God's got the thing, and, and, and the reward is, in fact, theirs on the other side. Hmm. The arena of risk could be any number of things. It could be relationships. You know this. I said this last week. Relationships are risky. They're not a formula. They're not science. It's not A plus B, you get C. With loving people, there are always risks. And there's a possibility for injury. And there's a possibility for loss. But we sign up. Because the Bible, Jesus says, this is how they'll know you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. Unqualified. That it is 
and Jesus took the risk. I mean, there's 12, there's 12 that he gathered to himself. They didn't exactly have it all figured out, did they? They had their stumbles and struggles and things that they couldn't ever possibly see. And he loved them to the end. That arena risk for you could be money. Maybe God is calling you to invest more into his kingdom, to give more. Maybe he's calling you to live, to live on less. I don't know. But what about your focus? Money, is, that's that thing, right? That's that really close thing that nobody, but the Bible talks a lot about how we deal with our, his resources that he's blessed us with. So sometimes the area of, of, of finances is a risk. Might be a ministry area serving in a specific way and you're not sure you want to. It could be hard. It could be. Could be challenging. Could be. Could be difficult. Could be. You know, but to give yourself to serving other people and using your gifts and using your talents and using your shape, that God, that God may be speaking to you about stepping into something and you may be hedging. Not sure I want to go there. Okay, try, God, help me. Help, help build my faith in this area. Help me to experience the blessing of serving other people because there's always a blessing that comes out of it on the other side. Until you walk into it, you don't get to receive the fruit of what it means to serve other people. And as a church, I was thinking about what we did here just the last few years. We took a, we took a fairly sizable step of faith when we said, let's go and let's do this thing, this, the next campaign and taking on a significant project. And God helped us every step of the way. He met us every step of the way. He provided every step of the way. And now we have the facility to, as we've expanded, we can build more bridges and love more people and help more people know Jesus Christ and, and have a witness in this community and have space to do it. And for the next generations, the ones behind us, you know, our children, our grandchildren, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, they continue to have the gospel presence in this community because this generation was faithful like the ones before us to do what God called us to do. And it wasn't easy and it took sacrifice and it took commitment and investment on your part and you did and praise God for it. So we, we as a church are learning what it means to take risks. Next was a part of that. What is the big dream in your life? Is it, is it perhaps starting a business? Is it tackling the sources of poverty in this community? You know, I know when we sat down now almost, was it 12, 13, 14 years ago and said, Lord, we want to build bridges in this community. What does that look like? And then there, the conversations and the prayer started to lead us towards, hey, would you consider starting a Celebrate Recovery? Okay, let's pray. Yep, God was speaking, clarified it, affirmed it, boom. And here we are 12 years later and look what God has done. For some of you, it might be adopting a child. There might be all kinds of things that the Lord is speaking to your heart about in terms of a dream he has given you. And why is it so hard? Because I think we need to acknowledge it's not easy. Why is it so hard? And here's the crucial thing. Taking risks involves an assumed willingness to accept change. That C word that some of us struggle with, change. We don't always like change. 
And it's not easy. It involves leaving the status quo. And our comfort level is usually pretty high. A lot of us, we, we tend to gravitate and drift towards comfort. So when the Lord comes along and taps on our hearts and says, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to pursue this, it's not easy picking up and moving into a new city that could cause us to lose some of that comfort. The bottom line is that God wants us to grow and expand our trust in him, and that will inevitably involve change of some sort or some fashion. Blackaby says, if you remember Henry Blackaby, he wrote that masterpiece, uh, Experiencing God, uh, 30 years ago. Blackaby said, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. I'll say that again. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. It requires adjustment and obedience. And recognize this so that you can be looking for God's hand and listening for God's voice. And sometimes you need to take a risk because your movement with God depends on it. Um, man, let that land. Your soul needs to expand. Your heart needs to trust again in a way that makes it work. It is good for you and your walk with God. If you feel yourself getting stagnant and calcified spiritually, seek God for the next move that will require you to risk something. And again, not foolhardy, but Christ-honoring. How is God moving me forward? And I have, I have found in my walk with Christ over all these years that usually moving forward means taking some risks along the way. Living by faith is what we're talking about. That Hebrews 11 spirit. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want to please you, God, so I need to trust, build my trust, build my faith in this area. Which brings us to the, the gain, and this is how we'll finish this morning, the gain of taking risks. There are several things I want to highlight for you about the gain because the Bible says without faith is impossible to please God. For uh, what's this? Let me look at, again. Let me put these things on again. Don't go on it. Verse 6. Yes, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And then here's the thing, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him that he is in fact a rewarder. That's his character. That's his nature. He is a rewarder of those who trust him. The Bible speaks to that right here in 11.6. So what's the game? Number one, there's an opportunity to grow. If you want to grow, I'm going to have to take some risks and trust God by faith. Because what happens when we do that, it expands our hearts, it expands our faith, and it expands our delight in God. Our, our delight in God actually grows. You want to you learn to love God more? Step into some risks. Step in by faith. Because when we see God work, when we, see, when we step out by faith and God meets us there, it does something in us spiritually that grows us. 
It expands our hearts in ways we couldn't ever experience without stepping and seeing and seeing God meet us there. That's a really important truth. The second thing about the gain is we get to experience the joy of depending more on God. It pleases God. A lot of times we short circuit our joy because of the sin of presumption. And what do I mean by that? Here it is. And see if, you're, see if this happens in your life. We tend to play out scenarios of what will happen if we take a risk. Well, if, if, we, if we do this, then A could happen, and then B could happen, and that's probably going to lead to C. And I better not even go down that road. And so we talk ourselves right out of following God, right? We, we're good at that. We kind of try to figure things out on our own. What could happen, where this could lead if we do this, step into this, trust. And then we go A and B, well, I don't want to go there. So, and we, we just talk ourselves, we presume to know better than God. And so what happens is you remove God from the process as if he is unable to intervene, as if he won't show up, as if everything is locked in already. Essentially, and this is the sin, we begin to take the place of God, deciding what will happen or won't happen next. And it's all based on our understanding and our reasoning, and our assumptions, and our blinders, and our lack of faith. Because we've got to figure it out first. And that totally displeases God because he wants our faith, our trust, not our presumption. But when we don't presume and we choose to step out and risk and then God accomplishes his plan and his purpose, we get to experience the joy of seeing him work. And it draws us closer to him. And the closer we are to him, guess what happens? He increases our joy. Joy is a gift. It's, it's based on the relationship of knowing him and, and, and having his presence in our lives. And so the closer we get, the more joy. And then the final thing here about the gain of faith Number three, we are positioned to receive something better. And the reality is that the fear of failure, the fear of failure keeps us from risking. What if? What if it doesn't turn out like I had hoped? What if we come up short? What if something happens along the way that derails the whole thing? What if? What if? What if? There are a thousand what ifs. And so sometimes we just choose to stay in that place. We want guarantees. But what we do need, but what we do need faith for, excuse me, but what do we need faith for if there's no need to trust? If you don't need to trust, then why have any faith in God at all? And so remember the ancients, the hall of faith people, were commended by God because they knew they were guaranteed a better thing, a better reward, an eternal promise. 
And so if you go down through, I'm not going to take you, but if you go down in verse 16, the Bible says instead they were longing for a better country. They lived in this, in their country, but they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Verse 35, others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection, the Bible says in verse 35. And then in verse 40, God has planned something better for us. And so the word of the hall of faith people is that God's got, they, they all trusted there was something better, something more. And so for us to live by faith, that's where, that's where God helped help me to see that. Even when I'm stuck in the middle of something really hard and difficult and it's painful and I don't understand it, but I'm trusting that there's something better coming. Help my heart to know that. Trusting a God who's infinitely better than anything or anyone else we could anchor our lives to. And so the final question here this morning, what risk is God calling you to take in this season of your life? Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, provchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day.